This sermon, Wise Men from Afar, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, December 17, 2023, at Sovereign Grace Church. If I could have you stand with me and open in your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. You're going to love this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After this, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Please be seated, and please pray with me. Lord, you have brought us the good news in this child, Jesus. I pray you would captivate our souls. Captivate us. 
Captivate us by the Son of God, now flesh. And from the inside out, may we burst forth and worship you. Be merciful, Lord, to any sinner present this morning. Jesus. Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Advent season is my favorite season. And the Advent of Jesus is the greatest news of all time. A three-message Christmas miniseries we find ourselves in the middle of, the second one of the three today. It may at first seem insufficient to proclaim the good news of the Advent of the Savior sufficiently, but it does have the power to grab our attention and focus our minds on the hearts of truth, does it not? When we hear this, oh, familiar story again, it begins to not be so familiar again. And my prayer for us is that it would not be familiar. Each year we turn back to these texts and marvel again and again at the birth of our Savior, Jesus. We pray for the Holy Spirit to remind us again and again of the great salvation that God has brought to us in this newborn child, Jesus. That we would then do what we've already prayed the result would be that we would worship him, the Savior of the world. Last Sunday, we beheld something that truly was unexpected at the advent of Jesus. It's being announced. It was announced in last Sunday's text that shepherds would be the first to hear the proclamation after hundreds of years of silence. After the nation of Israel has remained in captive, the good news bursts on the scene and shepherds in the field hear this good news, and that is unexpected. The least of Israel, next to lepers, hear this good news. And they said, let's go see this thing. And today, we now discover another unexpected group of guys who will hear this announcement of the birth of Jesus and be invited to come and bear witness. And we will see how unexpected this group of guys truly is. Because of misinterpretation, though, we have to realize this, misinterpretation over the years, actually over two millennia of religion and culture muddying this, these guys, these wise men have been misunderstood. In particular, the point of them in the heralding of the gospel at the birth of Christ has been misunderstood. That whole purpose of their presence, we find in God's Word today, will become more clear as we look together at these verses. Time and time again, we will be going back. So stay near this. There will be a couple times we will touch on other verses, but stay near this text. Look at it. If you've got it on your phone or in your Bible in front of you, do that. Hold on to that. We will see the Scriptures will be clear as we discover three things. Three things about these wise men. One is they were directed by God. Two is they're used by an evil, an unscrupulous king. And three, they worship the Savior. 
They were directed by God. They are being used by an evil king. But they, in the end, will worship the Savior. Let's look at this first one. They were directed by God. Let's consider here that what we have in verse 1. In verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days, the time frame of Herod the king, behold, wise men. They are literally described in plural as the magi, where we get the word magicians from currently. The ESV study Bible describes these guys this way, priests and experts in mysteries in Persia and Babylon. These magi are smart guys. These are not just a handful of guys working street corner tricks. These are brilliant men of their day. They are counselors to kings. I love, Derek used a phrase this week, these guys made kings. Love that quote. They made kings. They served kings But they serve them in a particular way, their knowledge, their understanding, their wisdom, but also in interpretations of events. Wisdom, speaking into difficult matters and even everyday mundane matters where the king and the rulers needed help. These men were there for them. These, the magi. The closest thing that we have to these guys today probably particularly here in America, would be presidential advisors, cabinet members. Get any time with them, and you'll find out they are brilliant. They are, in a sense, gifted. They are wired to think like no one else is wired to think. And yet, something has compelled these magi They're not just being called up. And by the way, if you're looking for another reference, in Exodus chapter 7, Pharaoh calls on these kinds of men, almost word for word when you see them. Like, what is going on with these plagues? These wise men would be called in. But something has grabbed the attention of these magi. Something is compelling them. And maybe a better way to say that is someone has got their attention. Someone is compelling these men forward. Let's look now at verse 2. Coming from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. A star has got these guys' attention. They would have likely been caravanning for months in an entourage. By the way, the scriptures doesn't mention the exact specific numbers, but what is certainly implied and understood about the Magi is there were a number of them, and by the way, for them to move across what is probably about a thousand miles over months to get to Jerusalem from where they came from, deep within Persia, they would have had soldiers for protection against marauders and thieves. They would have had their own advisors coming along, assistants and servants all that way. All that effort, something's got them moving, and it is, from what we know in the text, his star. His star, there in verse 2. The star that we find out as we go on belongs to God. Psalm 8.3 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. There is no star in heaven that has not been placed there by God. They're God's stars. And this star in particular is God's star. Let's continue to look at the text. The stars belonging to God. This star is compelling these magi. And it is all his doing. It's his directing every single detail. In other words, these men in the east now see a star drawing them westward. They see this star while they're in the east looking, it draws them westward. And God is directly involved in this detail. This is an extraordinary star. Verses 2 and 9, even though I'm skipping into the next section, but 2 and 9. Listen to that description in the second half of 9. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child is. There could be much described or to maybe argue that it just appeared to be moving. The original language doesn't allow for us to just simply cast this off to a fixed star in the heavens. This is a unique star. I think it's right to say this is a supernatural star. By the way, there is a supernatural event surrounding all of this. Why would we dumb this down to, well, it was just a really bright star. It's right for us to consider, and it has been for years, that maybe this star was a supernova at that time. Maybe it was a comet. Could it have been planets aligning themselves? One day, I hope there is a star tour in heaven, and I get to sit. I will be the uneducated kid with a high school degree that should be investigated from Eastwood High School, and I get to ask the star maker questions about the stars. While some have described this as maybe these common events, we know this for a fact from the text, verses 2 and 9. God's personal and understandable invitation to these men in particular. God uses Bethlehem's star as his unique and gracious invitation to these star-led magi. These men are also as we described them, not only brilliant, particularly in this time frame, there's some issues with them. These men also would have been stargazing astrologers mixed with astronomers, looking to the stars, mapping the stars, but seeking to understand and make interpretations and applying that to earthly events. Scriptures clearly forbids that effort. Somehow mapping the stars and astrology to foretell the future I love John Milton's, uh, C.J. Mahaney points this guy, John Milton's poem about the nativity. He calls them star-led wizards. <laughs> C.J. remarks, think Gandalf when you think of these guys. Another quote from our lead pastor, it's a little mixture of Harry Potter and something else. That's what we're to think of. These guys, they're, they're a unique brew. By the way, all the stuff about the star, its uniqueness, that it's supernatural, it's four times in our text. It is in verse 2 
his star. Verse 7, the star. Verse 9, the star. Verse 10, the star. Things get repeated in Scripture. Pay attention. The star is unique. But here's why. Listen, to, I love this quote from Daniel Doriani. He says, God chooses to speak to scar stargazers through a star. Stars had significance for these men. God descended to the Magi's level to communicate with them. Stars got their attention, so God used a star. We have this star from God to them. He providentially is making this happen. And it's pointing them to the place where he, he didn't just condescend to communicate with these men. He personally has condescended and has come in the flesh. And he is leading these men, these stargazing wizards, to the sun. The Messiah, the king of the Jews, the Magi's, will know this. In fact, they describe him that, that way in verse 2. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? How would they have known this? It's very likely there are other magis, by the way, in Scripture that are good. Daniel and the other prophets around him and near him, being called on by the kings. But we you know these men are spirit-led by the Lord. Well, the magi likely in the deep heart of Persia would have been studying all, whatever documents they could have got their hands on and likely had the prophet Daniel that foretold this promise, of the Jew, this promise coming of the Jewish king. How kind of God taking a star that's understandable to these men and marrying them to the perfection of his word and promise of the coming king so that they would understand. This is not just a moving star. The star got their attention. God's word got their attention. And they're compelled by God to go. They knew the stars, but this star is in the hand of the providence of God. Reformers will refer to the providence of God as the invisible hand of God. Imagine what we just heard in, uh, in Psalm 8.3, that by his finger he is placing the stars, the invisible hand of God providentially and graciously communicating with these magi. For you and I, before we move on, let's step back just for a minute. There is nothing in your life, nothing good, and extremely difficult that is outside the providential, invisible hand of God. There's nothing going on. <laughs> nothing. It's all in his invisible hand. Let that comfort you. He has condescended and has come to you. He is in it all. Well, they are clearly being directed by God. Like the pillars of cloud in the Old Testament and the pillar of fire 
pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness. God in his great providence is now going before and leading these magi by his star. The magi are directed by God. But now we're going to see all of that glorious heavenly description. There's a shift now into verse 3. Look with me. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. It's almost as if the camera was panoramic in the, in the sky at night, imagining all that's out there, and all of a sudden shrinking immediately down and pointing to this evil king, Herod, this unscrupulous king. He's troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. And so he calls on the chief priests, scribes, and people. And as you read on through Matthew, these men appear again and again and again, and it is never good. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod himself has knowledge. He is Jewish after all. He is born a Jew. He would have been familiar to some degree about all of this, but he needed in his version lesser magi around him that were providing an answer to him. All of this, the magi and their entourage, the star, the message they come bearing, the king of the Jews and their message, and they come proclaiming this This disturbs Herod to the core. If Herod was troubled, then it's right to say all of Jerusalem was troubled as well. Do you know why? One, the group is big. These guys come rolling into a town that's not very big. They've got a lot of luggage with them. In a sense, you could hear the diesel rigs pouring in. That would have been the effect. Quiet little town, unassuming, maybe a little ruckus here and there evil king trying to suppress everything, now comes in this noisy band of stargazing smart men from Persia and everything they've got. And there they are rolling into his town. Certainly his attention, he's troubled. What is going on? The city, they're troubled by what's going on, what is happening. But here is why the city is troubled. Herod's throne is threatened by this promise coming throne these people would have got that along with Herod. You do not mess with Herod. They knew you threatened him. Anybody threatened him, it is not going to go well with you. And you're coming in and saying a new king is being born. Do you not realize who is sitting on our throne? We can't even breathe wrong around him, and we're going to feel it. We're going to feel his pain quickly. Herod ruled through violence and manipulation. History will reveal And Emperor Augustus will say this about Herod. It's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Herod being a pretty decent Jew on some of these, he refused to kill pigs. You go study that one. He had no problem killing three of his own sons. Along with many others, including one of his wives and a number of her family. The guy is so hated by both sides And he knew it. He, at his death, is suffering horribly. Any day now, he's going to be gone. And he knows no one's going to mourn his death. He literally sends word out, convinces some influential men to move to Jerusalem so that when he dies, guys, he plans secretly with, are going to murder these prominent men. And there will be grief in Jerusalem at Herod's death. (laughs) That. 
is an evil, evil king. Evil doesn't stop there. Israel's priests and scribes, they're complicit in their help of Herod to do what he is planning to do. He is going to use the wise men to kill the Son of God. He's going to use these men. These magi, he is manipulating them. He's lying to them. He's tricking them for this purpose so he can find this Christ child, this promised anointed one from the scriptures, and he's going to kill him. He's Jewish. You have to let that sink in. You'll understand more as we go on. He will go to great lengths. He will attempt to murder the baby Jesus. He will gather those that should be longing for and looking for the Savior who are blind to him to do it. Herod is using these magi to kill God the incarnate son. We cannot miss this. The king of the Jews, the true king of the Jews on David's throne that has been prophesied over and over and over and over for centuries. Here being quoted in Micah 5, 2, these guys quoting the direct promise and prophecy. This guy is going to be born, this king is going to be born in Bethlehem, right before them. And what do they do? Well, they don't go worship. Matthew 2, 16, just look a little head with me over in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I thought all of this was bad enough. There's going to be a moment where these wise men are going to be kneeling down and looking at the young Jesus. Herod can't wait to kill this baby. Read on in verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now we understand later in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 23, 37, with Jesus himself spared by this evil act, says these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You were not willing. You were not willing 
For you and I, we have to understand this as we look into the text to step back just for a minute. And we have to see how demonic and satanic this all is. Satan is at work right now, by the way, his satanic activity while deeply affected and finally the trajectory of his success has been brought to an end at the cross of Christ, still roams around like we heard earlier in the service, like a raging lion seeking to whom he may devour. He's deceiving all who will listen and follow him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. John 15, 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hated me before it hated you. Are you afraid of being destroyed as a believer, they were searching for me at my birth. They hated me. Our culture's downward slide, it's not just simply a party in debauchery. It certainly is that. Living as if there is no consequence. That is certainly our culture right now. This is part of Satan's realm at war against the chosen one, Jesus. This is not just giving in to the flesh and living however we want to live. This is, in that sense, giving our soul, our sinful soul, over to Satan and joining a kingdom that actually has a real agenda that is set against joining along with Herod and all those before and all those that come after. They're looking for the chosen one to destroy him. They are aligned against God himself. And now we see in verse 7 and 8, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. This man feigns interest in the Magi. He feigns Worship and promised worship of the Savior for the purpose of killing the Savior. God's invisible hand was on the Magi. See his providence even in this encounter with, with Herod. We will know at the end he warns them in a dream of Herod's plan. So from the beginning, these men are providentially going to be protected and guarded by God for the purpose, for this purpose. We've looked at them being directed by God. They're now being used by this unscrupulous king. Here's the reason God protects them. They worship the Savior. 9 through 12, let's read that together. Let's slow down just a little bit and let's get into this neighborhood with this entourage. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, 
the star that they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw this extraordinary supernatural star, when they saw this star that led them to the king of the Jews, they knew God had so captivated them that if they will find him, they will see him. When they saw the star, they, I love this, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That is that sense of leaping and shouting and laughter. They have found the reason all of this effort has led them to come to. They have found the king of the Jews. They followed this star. They don't understand everything, but they've been compelled enough by the providence of God. They are looking for the king of the Jews who has been born. They see this star land over the house. They're not even in the house yet. They've not even seen him yet. And the raucous begins. Can you imagine what that neighborhood must have been like in that moment? In this little town of Bethlehem. No longer at the stable, now in a house. We're going to have to fix our narrative when it comes to this nativity a little bit. So what I did earlier this week is I took these three wise men on the counter that were actually inside the little arbor of the stable, and I took them out and I put them on the counter sideways to see if anybody noticed this morning. I actually had them turned around facing down the hallway like they're looking somewhere else. With all of that, though, something about this house is absolutely unique. It's here where the one they were looking for is inside. And inside, can you imagine Mary and Joseph and the young Jesus, likely an infant upward, a little bit older infant, upward of almost two. We know from the time frame because of Herod seeking to wipe him out at that age. Inside, they hear outside Joyous, exceeding joy, great rejoicing in these men as they open the door, verse 10, verse 11, excuse me, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. This this is the chosen one of Israel. And he's here. The Savior of the world is born. He's here. Step back and look at all that's happening. The King of Kings is born. He's here. He's here at this home. The Son of God is born. Emmanuel, God is with us, is born. Let all rejoice. Let all rejoice. But sadly, as we look back in this situation... While at this house, these men are worshiping. There are men seeking to find out this location so that they can kill the Savior. And this is the repeat story through the Gospels. The Messiah comes. His own people reject him and seek to kill him. But yet, these unexpected magi, seeing his star, rejoice exceedingly. Upon seeing the child, they fall down and worship King Jesus. 
Can you imagine the scene? They get around the little baby Jesus. I, I wish it could have looked like this. Maybe he's a toddler. He gets to them, like Derek said, maybe scratching his belly a little bit. Crazy, obedient, come over here. Okay, he comes over here and he meets these men who cannot stand up anymore. They're before the king of the universe. All that they've understood is now being focused on this little boy. Go get our treasures. Go get our gifts. This is the one. This is the king. They worship him, and they give him gifts to honor a king. They fall down because they know what you do before a king. They fall down because the providential hand of God has led them here, protected them from this evil king, seeking to use them. The sovereign king of the universe guards these men for this purpose, that they would then turn and worship him. This is all unexpected. Here's how it should have gone. When they saw the star, and boy, they followed the star. They went after the star, and they finally see where the star stops. They fell down and worshiped the star. That's not what happens. That's what's unexpected is that they worship the child. They don't worship the star. Deep into Persia goes the gospel. Deep into the heart of sin goes the gospel. In Ephesians 2.12, says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God and the world, remember Remember these men, the Magi, they were far from him spiritually. They were separated from Christ. They were nowhere near the covenants of the people of God and the promise of this Messiah. They were far from this. They were far from having hope. They were far from and actually, according to Ephesians, without God. But God came to them. They saw his star. These unexpected magi, these Gentile, this is the purpose, these Gentile sinners get the good news of Jesus. Last week, it was the shepherds. That universal call going to all men, it does not matter who you are or where you are. The gospel will make its way to you. And we get to these magi is even you. Even you. You and I, we're far off. Here's the good news for those of us that it should be unexpected. The good news of the Savior and King Jesus has come to the unexpected who are far off. This gospel of the King Jesus, who has come to save, has come to the unexpected who were far off. Not just a universal call. Oh, what a joy that all can be saved. But what a joy now to know even you can be saved. Are you a non-believer? Do you refuse to believe in Christ? 
whether or not you're aware you're lost in this world. But the Savior has been born and has been born to you and to me. Are you, all of us present, are you a sinner? The good news is that you too are invited. By the way, I should not have been invited. I should have been the one hunted down and killed by God. The story should have been completely reversed of none of us, not me, certainly not me, hunting him down to kill him. No, he actually comes and hunts me down and finds me, as it were, a sinner. He hunted me down and he saved me. Is that not your good news? Is that not your gospel that God has come to save you? The totally unexpected message? If I could have the band. You are invited. The story is if these men, Gentile sinners, far from God, they don't get it all. They get some of it because of his kindness. You are invited. Maybe another way I could say this is there is no place where the gospel cannot reach. There is no sinner who is too far off that the gospel cannot come to. Come, behold the child, Jesus, the Savior. If you would stand with me. Do you know where our application in the text is? It's in verse 10. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let's sing to him. <laughs>